Hi, and we're back. I thought I was going to lead this one off. I thought we. I thought I'd start this one. Hi, and welcome to the third mailbag edition of Jewish Thought Flow. We have over a hundred listeners per episode. Past two episodes, we're nearing two hundred on the Black Lives Matter episode, and therefore we're getting questions, we're getting concerned, and we're going to address them today for you guys. I tried going to Mati, didn't have anything, so we'll continue here. One of the big questions that we got over this episode, one of the big complaints, some of the controversy swirling around it, was what does this have to do with Judaism? Why is this Jewish thought flow? It seems like you're just pimping off politics to get listens. (laughs) So that's correct in a lot of ways. But the justification for bringing in BLM to to the Jewish spectrum is because Let's first explain what's what was the thought process. What was the brainchild? I don't think that's going to work at all in the <laughs> sentence. What, what was the thought process behind Jewish thought flow? I think it was I wanted to be able to, and this is my problem. I wanted to be able to rationally explain any position that the Frum community has, because I hold if the Frum community has a position, it's most probably sourced in Tyra. Now, does that mean I hold of everything the front community holds? No. And we'll probably talk about a couple of things we don't hold. But BLM is something I hold, is something the front community got absolutely right. So when I see people posting on Facebook, Instagram, Black Lives Matter hashtags or Black Lives Matter slogans or going to rallies, God forbid, holding up Black Lives Matter signs, I think that this is within the purview of the podcast to address this are you helping black people are you supporting something which is rapidly anti-semitic and is it something that should be done yeah i would say that that's uh oh, he's back yeah i'm in i'm in that's one tie-in uh and again as we pointed out in the episode it's also very important to notice that this is something that you emphasize a bunch that when you deal with truths and when you deal with statistics and when you deal with facts then the best way to deal with the situation is going to become apparent. And if you ignore the facts, then it's impossible to deal with the situation. So this comes very nicely off our previous episodes where we talked about the the intrinsic difference between a Jew and a non-Jew and how that's actually the best uh, understanding of the world. That, that'll lead to the most happiness in the world is by understanding the difference between, uh, in this case, uh, the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew. We can then understand how we're supposed to treat the non-Jew and all those would become uh, more explainable and uh, better understood. So, so too with Black Lives Matter, if we're trying to help the black community, now again, Jewish offload does not necessarily, <laughs> our purpose is not to help the black community, but it is to have a, a better world is one of the goals of, of Judaism. Uh, everything. When we said we, we, our plan is not to help the black community, it doesn't mean that we're against helping the black community. It just means like that's not the purpose of the show. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of ways to better the world that we're not going to be getting involved in. This happens to be one where the from community and and has gotten some flack for not supporting it. And it also happens to come very nicely off our understanding the difference between people can better understand the way to help them. So I think those two connections are really why I brought that in right now. Right. I mean, also just is because it's a contemporary issue and it's all over the place. Um, we figured we should give the Jewish bent on it. Now, people have been addressing, I think you got a question like that from, uh, well, a man who shall not be named. He I don't know if you gave us permission to name, but he asked the question um, about Judaism's view in general of addressing cultural problems 
or changing the culture around us. Uh, you want to take a swing at that? Because we didn't talk about that. We didn't. We addressed specifically should Jews support BLM. We didn't ask the question should Jews be involved in any political or social activism, which is a completely separate question and seems like an interesting topic, but wasn't specifically our topic. Yeah, and I think it's a much too broad of a topic to just be dealing with uh, on one foot, like like I am right now. But basically, it would seem that Judaism does support. Um, I would say having a good culture, even coming from the non-Jews, and, and being a being a vision for the non-Jews and showing them what the proper way is. Right, I mean, before being hijacked by the Reform and conservative crowd, or Legayim being a light unto the nations, uh, you know, is a Jewish idea. There is a there is an idea that a perfect world means everybody acts morally. Does that mean we're supposed to march uh, to protect some people who are being uh, persecuted somewhere? Not necessarily. But I think not necessarily because... It might not be the best use of our time, not because it's not inherently because unworthy. It to, yeah, no, of course, uh, Judaism holds that a peaceful world is the best. And and Hashem, Hashem wants good for all his creations, and and Hashem doesn't like. We're going to do a podcast if Hashem enjoys inflicting pain, um, even upon wicked of the other or wicked people of the other nation. And it seems very clear from the sources that pain of humanity is never something um, that God wants. In, especially from a Torah vantage point. And as we mentioned in a previous episode, one of the best ways to understand what is the ideal, the Jewish ideal, is to look at Yemais Mashiach and Elam Haba and see what the situation is going to be. And obviously one of the things that's emphasized heavily there is a peaceful world. And that's not just with the Jews, it's with everybody who's existing there. Right. The lamb shall lie with the lion. I believe the term is. The wolf, possibly. <laughs> In some versions of the verse. <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, one of the ancient manuscripts found in uh, Mesopotamia. <laughs> yeah. said, uh... Well, if you look at the uh, Septuagint, <laughs> um, we're making fun of academics, if that's what you're wondering <laughs> what we're doing. Um, so, so, one of the, so one of the questions was, um, is the yeshivish community really not hold of BLM or supporting BLM because of these problems? Or do they just not care about culture because they don't care about changing the world around us? I'm not going to answer that question because I can't speak for the yeshivish community. My feeling is, um, and I'm part of the yeshivish community, my feeling is that they don't care um, either way. Um, so in terms of that, I don't think that's a reason. But amongst all groups, there are thoughtful, thoughtful people who have who do care about others and maybe are interested in, in wondering if this is our role and if we should do this. And really the podcast was meant to address those and say, hey, if you think that this is a good way to spend your time, this is a very negative way to spend your time. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say that in all areas of life, there's jobs which are not involved in terror, which not everybody's meant to be spending all their time in terror and not everybody's able to. If you're able to, then that seems to be the best thing. But if you're not able to, there's other things you can be doing. Um, and social activism, I would say, is also a beneficial thing to be doing if that if you feel like that's the best way you can better the world and make it a more Jewish right, and place. Right, serve Hashem, right. If you can sit and learn, it. that's obviously the, the Jewish role, it seems like, for, first and foremost, is to be sitting serving Hashem. Um, you, don't, you don't see, like, the Levium um, getting involved in social activism. They were involved in purely serving Hashem. Uh, so in terms of that, I don't think that it's necessarily the role for everybody, but that doesn't mean that Judaism doesn't hold that change in culture is important. Then there's a whole another discussion. What's the best way to change culture? Is it by being an example? Is it to go out and create political change to play again? So the, this is a topic that needs research. I, I can't say that I'm, I know that 
I'm knowledgeable in the fact that Tatara cares about a perfect world and has the Jews' role as creating it. I'm not knowledgeable in what extent we're required to do so and what are the kosher methods of doing so. So I can't really talk on that unless we decide to do a podcast on that. Right, so one of the questions I got coming from a dear friend, Chaim Gersten. So he wanted to know, he heard the episode, he very much enjoyed it, but he said that we didn't focus on the uh, violence done by cops, which doesn't involve death. In other words... Uh, one of the statistics that are brought out often in showing police racism is the fact that police are uh, become more, I don't know, more violent. They, use, I don't know, use a taser more. They'll they'll body them up more. They'll tackle them more. Uh, the African Americans and the white people, even if it doesn't end up in more deaths, uh, they definitely get like bodied up more. So, what have you seen from this? So it's it's again the same thing. Those studies are not done. Um, they're not done per resisting arrest, right? So. The, the the professor who did the analysis that came out that w- cops don't shoot whites more than – don't shoot blacks more than they shoot whites, um, which he took violent criminal population and compared that to the shooting. Um, when he did this analysis, it didn't take into account the rate of resisting arrest. So, yes, a cop is more likely to use force against a black man, but it's unclear – if that's because blacks are more likely to resist arrest. So even if you take a stat such as using force against somebody who is not resisting, there's always room for error. There's going to be, let's say, nasty cops, and then there's going to be where they thought you were resisting, you really weren't. So there's going to be room for error. So the question I would look at, if I, if I had access to the statistics themselves and the data itself, the question I would look at is, what's the rate of unarmed whites and unresisting whites get getting force used against them versus how often they resist arrest and see if the ratio is the same with blacks because if i resist arrest let's say 70% of the time then in the 30% there's going to be some mistakes but the ratio should stay consistent to how violent i am in general so it, let's say let's say let's say whites resist arrest 3 out of 10 times. I'm just completely making up a number, right? So that means they resist arrest 33% of the time. 30% of the time. <laughs> exactly, 30% of the time. Um, so then if, let's say, mistakes of cops account for one more, so that would be a quarter of the total amount, right? Because then it would be 4 out of 10. 3 out of 10 was resisting, and then the fourth one was he wasn't resisting, but the cop made a mistake, or whatever that number is. So let's say... Let's say, so that would be a quarter, right? right? Let's say blacks resist arrest six out of, uh, four, uh, four out of ten times, six out of ten times. Um, and then there were two mistakes. So then that's eight out of ten. So the ratio, you can correct me in the math, you're better at math than I am, but the ratio of incorrect application of force to correct application of force is identical, even though there's more application of force when not necessary in terms of total numbers in blacks versus whites. Yeah, I mean, the math adds up, but I'm not sure why you would add the the mistakes to the total. Yeah, Because you just have to assume that every person who's not resisting arrest is... There's going to be... Mis- the mistakes are only out of the people not resisting arrest. So you'd assume by whites... No. If there's 70% of people not resisting arrest... Yeah. And there's, let's say, uh, let's say there's... I don't know. Let's say half of the non... I'm going to make up a heavy number just to make it easier. Let's say 50% of the non-resistors get accidentally resisted. There'll be more whites not resisting who get... Uh, you know, bullied. No, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. If you have like, let's say, an old lady, 
like an old white lady. Let's say the Queen of England gets pulled over, right? So the chance of a mistake that the officer thinks that she's resisting when she makes a sudden move or whatever is incredibly, incredibly low. So if the officer uses force against the Queen of England, I'm assuming that was intentional. As you say, not, not, all, not all mistakes are, are equal. Right. I mean, you're dealing with a population. So if your population is a much higher risk of actually resisting arrest, then whatever causes the mistake would be in proportion to that. Right. So this, this kind of gets into what, um, the, what the, one of the members of the show was asking, uh, which has to do with, okay, so let's say that uh, the statistics don't bear out that there's any extra brutality based on, um, let's say, based on the crime statistics. But let's say as a black person, a black person versus a white person, if they're doing the same thing, let's say they're both good people the black person will be suspected of being a bad person based on accurately based on the crime statistics of his race, but he'll be treated worse than a white person. And how does that not perpetuate this problem whereby an innocent black person is going to be treated as a criminal and that was more likely to make him a criminal than so, it would be otherwise. So that's a thousand percent true. So they did a, um, they did a test uh, where they took uh, iPhone sales. It was like an online iPhone sale. And the only difference, it all had perfect reviews. It all had... Um, it all had perfect reviews. It was 100% customer satisfaction. The only difference between the two phones is in one um, online offer, the person on the phone had a black hand, and the other one, the person had a phone holding a white hand. And 17% more buyers picked the white hand than the black hand. So now at first, it's like, oh, well, that seems to be obvious racism, right? Because they're picking the white hand over the black hand. It's not like the black hand has any worse customer satisfaction or any worse positive reviews. So why are they picking the white hand over the black hand? Um, so so what I said in response to this study that it, no, it's nothing to do with racism. Blacks commit, I think it's are seventeen times more likely to commit robbery than a white. In it's eighteen, I think eighteen times more likely to commit robbery. Okay, we didn't have this. We didn't have this statistics. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah. So you look in the FBI statistics in the disparity between white and black uh, robbery crime. So when you're going to buy a phone, right, online, you don't want any risk in your phone getting stolen. You want your phone. So in your head, you're saying there's two phones here. Let's say one phone had was white and one phone was black, and that was the color of the phone. And you just knew in your head information that the black phone, which is selling for the exact same price, has a much higher chance of me not receiving my phone, of me getting scammed. A much higher chance. Then who in their right mind would buy the black phone? You have an equal opportunity. Why would you pick the black phone? Yeah, that's fine. I don't think the... I mean, I think the question was racism. And I'm going to extend the question a little bit more. Yeah. The Forget about whether it's racist or not. Okay, so it's, it's the better no, so decision. I was, I was just agreeing with you that for sure blacks lose out because of their high crime statistics. Even innocent ones. But do you think, man, do you think it would be better or best for the black community if we try to erase that stigma from our mind and then allowed them to correct themselves as opposed to pushing the stigma on them and that might be furthering the problem. In other words, take the hit for a couple of years while we might lose out on those, let's say, those 17% of, of uh, you know, black guys selling the phone who might steal from us. But at least overall, the black people won't view themselves as criminals and that might that might uh, perfect their community better. So, so that's a very tough question, right? So first of all, who are you going to ask to do this? 
you. Are you going to ask? You, the I'm saying, are you going to ask the small business owner whose margins are incredibly tight to let people walk into his store who look suspicious and walk out of his store and look suspicious? Are you going to ask cops in in minority neighborhoods to not pull over people who look like they're doing a drug deal who, who look like they're going to carry out a murder? I think that would be the suggestion. I'm saying so. That seems ridiculous. I mean, it's at whose cost? It would be one thing if like you knew. I do this for a year. The whole black community will change. Like the black community uniformly said, we are going to change our culture right now. We just want you to stop suspecting. Stop suspecting for five months. That would be one thing. But you're talking about a culture that hasn't changed in years. You're talking about decades. And the culture gets worse. And you're expecting people to not make rational discrimination choices. Thomas Sewell dis- uh, differentiates between something called uh, discrimination type A and discrimination type B. Discrimination type A is judging an act, judging an individual based on a group identity. Discrimination types B means judging an individual based on an individual. So obviously judging an individual based on an individual is the best. Discrimination A, which is judging an individual based on a group identity, is the worst. But then there's something in the middle called discrimination, he calls it discrimination A part two. A prime, maybe. Yeah. Which is... You're judging the individual based on group identity because you do not have the resources to make a correct judgment on the individual. Which would be most of our encounters. Which would be most of our encounters. So, for example, you're walking late at night. Let's not even bring up color. Let's say a man walks by or is walking towards you, clean-shaven head, tattoos all over himself, wearing a wife beater. And then on the other side of the road, there's a small little old lady. So, yes, you can judge him as an individual, and maybe that lady's a serial killer, and maybe this guy's just a nice man who likes tattoos. Right, as we like to say, statistics are made up of individuals. Right. So, but as a, as a consumer of life, and as a rational decision maker, you have to make generalizations to move forward in life. So he brought up this fascinating study, which actually showed this, which was companies that had mandatory criminal background checks ended up hiring more blacks than companies that didn't, which seems counterintuitive. But the reason is as follows. When you anyways have to run a criminal background check, it doesn't cost you any money to do so because this is your company policy anyways. Therefore, you're able to judge the individual for the individual. When a black man sits in front of you, you're anyways running the criminal background check. If it comes back clean, there's no reason to not judge him as an individual. Companies that didn't run criminal background checks as a policy, and therefore would have to spend extra money to figure out who, which individual is worthy of hiring, ended up hiring less blacks because they ended up generalizing, I'm not going to waste money because I'm dealing with a more endangered part of society. So it's very unfortunate, but the only way to fix that would be, well, make yourself not a statistic anymore. When I, when I look at, when I look at, let's say, uh, a man from Birmingham with a nice suit and clean, a clean cut, nice haircut, clean shaven, that demographic does not lend itself to high violent crime. So in my head, I'm already not thinking that. Right. But I might be thinking he's running some sort of financial scheme. That might <laughs> Like, if I'm putting my money with, you know, a Jew, I might think financial scheme. But I'm not going to think violent crime. And vice versa. And it's not, and it's not like the, like I always pointed out, like, the, the, the IRS investigates wh- white collar jobs much more often than blue collar jobs and i guarantee you they're on way more investigations on um, financial fraud with white males and black males 
That doesn't mean the race against whites. It's just that's where that crime is happening. Right. All right. So we have there's a bunch of statistics which come out with uh, there's a lot of disparities in different areas of policing. We're not going to go into all of them. If we get a specific question, then we'll we'll deal with it. Uh, be assured, we have gone through the studies on numerous things, including the traffic stop statistics, um, the the different different violence speeding against, tickets, different fines, different. Oh, the the, the cocaine. Uh, what was it? What was the one? Uh, well, yeah, the the uh, um, the li- uh, limit for the maximum punishment for cocaine or the federal penalty for cocaine. So it's not it's not the time to go through it all. Um, but rest assured, I mean, you can ask a specific question, but rest assured, I can guarantee you because I've been through and done the research. Race is never the factor, which means if you can get rid of the other variables, which are intuitive is causing the problem, such as crime disparity or educational disparity or um, family structure disparity, then race no longer becomes a factor. However, if you remove the race factor and go across races, but keep those other variables in place, like go across racial divide, but keep crime disparity the same, or go across racial divide and keep the family structure the same or IQ the same or test scores the same, you'll find the disparity disappears. So it seems like race is not the cause of the disparity. And this also should be intuitive to you. Because a lot of people like to think like, well, I'm not a racist, but I bet a bunch of other people are racist. But you speak to everybody and everybody thinks that they're not the racist and it's the other people are the racist. There's very few people who are just straight up racist. Most people, and, and there's actually a lot of studies to, to confirm this, the people who are the the most like kind of have a negative stigma against black people are in the places where black people commit the most crimes. Which means that the stigma is coming based on the crime, not based on the skin color. Uh, we just have one more question, which we're going to deal with before... I think ending this episode. Um, well, why send so soon? I have a couple more questions. Oh, you do? You had one to give me, give me a question. No, I thought this one was uh, was for you. Okay, so so another one of the questions uh, we got was, why are you only representing one side? Um, and this was a common complaint because, again, in our statistics, they only go one way. <laughs> uh, the problem is because that's the only side we saw. Like, if you want to claim that I'm not doing the research, that's inaccurate. You can come to my house. You can come look at my computer. Come look on my shelves. Um, I have books taking all, a variety of of size and all different sorts of issues. If you look at my computer, the the bookmark tab is filled with articles. Let's say leaning towards being supportive of Black Lives Matter. I've been through the studies. They quote the problem is is they're not. I'll give you a perfect example and why I don't think I should even bring this because it's so silly that anybody can intuit this. So. Um, there's a, a, a magazine called Axis. I think it's a magazine. It might be just an online publication. Axis? Yeah, Axis. The German Alliance? What no, is no, this? No. Maybe it's Axius. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Look it up. Just Google Axis. You, you know, you, you might get a Viking. Axis? Axis? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I go on the internet, I get no internet access. Um, so... So I, I looked on this website, so I was trying to claim that uh, – somebody was claiming that, well, maybe if blacks were more um, entrepreneurial and maybe tried being more innovative in their business making, um, they would increase – they would decrease the wealth gap between blacks and whites. So this article was trying to debunk that. So one of the statistics it brought to debunk that was that um, even though blacks have higher projection for revenue growth and employee growth in their company, they don't get as much money as other races. Which sounds like when I read that, I was like, well, that seems strange. Their companies should be doing better, yet they're not getting the money. Yeah, usually usually banks are not racist to the point of losing money. If they right, the so, so my first question better. is, why in the world would people who want to make money not give money 
to places that are making money? That was my first question. So then I went and looked it up. So it turns out revenue growth potential projections and employee growth projections actually come from the company itself. If you look at the statistics for actual growth and actual actual revenue growth and actual employee growth, blacks were on the bottom of the races in terms of their companies, which is why they were on the bottom of getting money in terms of companies. What other factors go into getting money is that... Well, also the credit score was at the lowest. Their ability to pay back debt was at the lowest. The amount of money they lose per year is the lowest. So is the, the highest. The only thing that was the highest in a positive sense was their own expectation of how much they're going to make. Right. That, that so, might explain why the, uh, why the anecdotes of racism are so much higher than the actual statistics of well, racism. Well, because people always think that... It, it's nothing to do with blacks. People I, always think that the system's against you, and especially if every time you open a, a the online or any newspaper or any publication, everybody's telling you you're being you're being prosecuted or, or, or a preju- everybody's prejudiced against you and you're being discriminated, then of course when something goes wrong, you're going to think it was because of discrimination. How many, how many times have I heard from my uh, left-wing friends that every single one of their black friends has been pulled over you know, 20 times in their life for doing nothing other than uh, just driving and got like random stops. Well, that never happens to my white friends. So from that, you might think that the statistics would actually bear that out. But in fact, it's a little less than double as much pullovers that blacks get. And that's very well explained. That's again, by the crime disparity. That's we're a different, not going to get into uh, Yeah. No, but also like even this is also amongst Jews. Like how many times have you heard a Jew say anti-Semitism is the reason for something going wrong? Oh, they were just anti-Semitic. Yeah. So it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, groups. So so that's why that's why it's so dangerous that he's trying to get into Uman right now. Yeah, like said, I'm trying to get into Uman right now, claiming that Uman is acting like the Nazis. It's like, well, I don't think anti-Semitism has anything to do with it. You went to a place they said you can't go because of COVID, so you're not going to be allowed in. Um, so but part part of part that's why I think it's so dangerous when an article puts out a lie like that, and people, Black Americans, read that they go, I don't have any hope. Of making a business because nobody's going to give me money. That's not true. You make a good business, you'll ma- you'll make money. There's no evidence to support that banks are not giving out money equally if you have the same qualifications. And there's there's yeah there's one last question that I want to deal with before we end, which is some people say, well, okay, fine. So you're right. The Black Lives Matter organization itself is bad. They make up lies. They make up bad statistics about cops. But I do hold this discrimination in the world. I do hold there's racism in the world. I haven't done enough research to say not, and I feel like there is, whatever it is, whatever the reason is. Therefore, I'm going to come along with Black Lives Matter because, not because I hold the organization, but I hold Black Lives Matter, and I want to make a statement about racism. So what would you say to a guy like that? Why Why should that guy still not use the slogan Black Lives Matter as a hashtag, holding up a sign, or anything like that? Right, so I didn't understand this question at all. I think it's very obvious that using an organization which is anti-Semitic to push an agenda which they well, happen to hold and, also. and negative towards blacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Negative towards blacks, also negative towards America. But either way, to use something and say, well, they have this one good aspect, therefore I'm going to join them even with their bad aspects. Uh, just to give an analogy, we gave an analogy in the show, which I thought was very good. I, I heard this uh, during in one of the videos that I watched before the podcast, where they said that if there's an organization called Human Lives Matter, which was pro-immigration, but they're radically racist, they were white supremacists. But I, I thought of an actual an actual organization, which is Unite the Right. So the Unite the Right, which has all the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists, and they march together. So let's say that one of their one of the things they have is actually uniting the right. They want the right to come together. So I'm a right winger. I'm a I'm a you know I'm a Republican. I want the conservative side to all come together and, and agree on some stuff. So I'm going to march under the the flag, unite the right, and attend their rallies and protests. And... Yeah, or some might argue, you know, taking down the statue, joining their protests. But that's right. a, 
that's a different conversation. So I, I think anybody who has uh, any sort of intellectual honesty would a understand. A modicum of sense. Is that the term? A modicum? An ounce. Look, if you're not as, um, if you're not as literate as me. <laughs> yeah, I guess not a modicum. A modicum. Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna get the fact checkers on this one. Yeah, if any of our 175 and counting listeners has the uh, <laughs> modicum, yes, modicum. Anyway, if anyone has a uh, a modicum of of intellectual honesty, they'd understand that joining a movement which has so much negative, even if it has some positive, um, is is not is not the right thing to do. And if you want to fight racism, you can either start your own movement or join. There are other movements. Uh, out there which aren't as popular as black lives matter unfortunately but they could be if all these people who pretend to be joining black lives matter just to fight racism and not you know realizing they're joining with all these other things if those people which is uh, (laughs) according to the people who are arguing with us they're saying oh it's a very small percentage who actually hold of the black lives matter stance and the rest of them are just fighting racism so you take those all those people at 60 percent of america are pro black lives matter so let's say let's just take a majority even though according to these people it's an overwhelming majority but let's take a majority it would be 33 percent of america would be joining this new anti-racism movement which didn't have all this baggage so why hasn't that happened that's right. what i would ask i think because people are unaware of how bad black lives matter is and the lies that they're pushing i think and i think that's what's important yeah there's also um some people say that oh well black lives matter is mostly peaceful so a study just came out that 10 percent a little under 10 percent seven percent oh it's okay is that not a little under 10 it's a big difference <laughs> okay seven percent of all Black Lives Matter protests turn violent. When we say violent, we don't mean like one guy shoves another. It's like half your city gets burned down. It's a difference in one out of ten and one out of fourteen. So it is a big difference. Benjamin Vera did the same thing. I was confused. Thank you, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> there could be the different studies. You have to look that up. But so like, and I've seen this like uh, pushed by pro Black Lives Matter that uh, well, only ten percent or only seven percent of their vi- their protests turn violent. It's like, well, only 0.01% of cop shootings are unjustified. So if cops are racist, then I don't know what to say about a 10%. Can you imagine if 7% of police shootings were unjustified? Especially when the 7% is coming out of over 6,000 rallies across America. Right. And the violent ones are really violent. Like right now, I don't know if you've heard that people are actually just, just lighting like lighting places on fire right now. They're yeah. just literally going in with matches, lighting forests on fire, shooting cops. Talking about lighting things on fire, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please share with your friends. If you enjoy it. They will enjoy it. That's why they're your friends. And we will enjoy it. The more listeners. We've already tripled our listeners from two episodes if, ago. If they don't agree with your moral and uh, political stance, then they shouldn't be your friends. You should get rid of them. Well, you should also send them to Jewish Thoughtful again. And people say, oh, you don't take the other side. We've put out this challenge to anybody. You want to come on our show, we'll take you on our show. I mean, this is a big show, and we just, we'll give away a spot. We can have you talk to all of our listeners, and you can spread whatever you want. If you disagree with us, so it's not like it's we're more afraid than of that. that. Even, even if you don't want to, you know, come onto our show to debate, uh, you can send in any question, any study, and we'll, we'll deal address with it. it. And we have, it's not like we're just looking up one side and we'll deal with it if you come up with it. Majority of our research in every single area that we've done so far has been researching the other side and seeing if they have any legitimate points which we can deal with. I actually did a radio stint on 97.1. I called into the radio show because they were talking politics as Abe from Oak Park. I don't know if any of you heard it, but um, he tried quoting a study. I already knew it. I dismantled it. And then we can't find the audio. They took it. They took it down. Just like that segment of the show is just missing. So I don't know about that. Okay, we do have a new custom that we're going to end after this. But we wanted to introduce a riddle for the listeners. And if you answer it back, um, we'll say anything you want us to say on air, which can be dangerous. But that's the reward we're thinking of. If you can think of a better reward, you can tell us. So the riddle comes from actually my older brother. He's always sending his riddles. Um, I don't remember it offhand. Mutti, do you remember it? Is it the coin one? Yeah, the coin one. 
Yeah, <laughs> if you have 10 bags and uh, one of them has a different weight coin inside of it, they're, they're counterfeit coins, the regular ones weigh 10 ounces each coin and the uh, the counterfeit ones weigh 11 ounces each coin. Um, and you get one scale and you, you get one measurement. You get to measure anything you want once. Um, and the question is, how do you figure out which one is the counterfeit coins? And no, you can't just pick them all up and see which one's the heaviest because they all have different amount of coins in them. So you can't tell from the individual coin being heavier that the whole bag is necessarily heavy. So please send us back your questions, concerns, answers. and answers to the riddle at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. Again, if you have not shared with your friends and compelled them to please listen, or if they don't want to listen, at least leave a five-star review, do so now. I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Ati Cohen. And this has been Jewish Thought Flow.